Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a great conversation this week with Fahim Khan. He's a returning guest on the show. He's the senior economist of Make UK, an organization that exists to help secure the future growth and development of the UK manufacturing sector. And he's honestly one of the most knowledgeable people on the planet about the most significant changes that are impacting all manufacturers today. We discuss who have been the winners and losers in manufacturing post-Brexit, US-China trade relations and the impact that's having on all manufacturing businesses, the significant insights for manufacturers from their latest Q2 reports. I also learned the difference between digitization and digitalization. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Fahim Khan, Senior Economist at Make UK, an organisation that exists to help secure the future growth and development of the UK manufacturing sector. It delivers through a combination of government representation, industry intelligence, networking programmes and business services. So Fahim Khan, welcome back to the show. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Super excited to have you back on the show. I think the last time that we spoke, it was in the midst of COVID-19, where none of us knew what the future looked like, and it all seemed really scary. We've progressed a lot since then. We're now out the back of it, but a lot of things have changed, especially in manufacturing. Maybe for the listener, just bring us up to date as to what you think are the most significant developments that are that have changed the landscape in manufacturing since COVID. I'll let you choose what you want to talk about there, whether it's technological developments, changing policies, economic fluctuations. What do you see as the most significant changes in the sector in the last two years? Yes, Nathan, a lot has happened in the last couple of years. I mean, we know that the pandemic is probably one of the worst crises that most industries have faced. Manufacturing was one of them, but, uh, you know, the rest of the UK and the rest of the world was affected by that. But since then, and since we've been trying to kind of recover and bounce back from that challenge, the industry has faced so many more different challenges since then. Um, as manufacturing demand wound up again, we saw that businesses were trying to grow quickly to catch up on the order books, to recoup all the losses that they had made during the pandemic. And they found challenges such as difficulties in accessing certain inputs, like critical materials like plastics and wood and metals. They also found it difficult to hire enough people to actually service the demand that they were receiving. So even if they had enough customers, they didn't have enough workers to actually deliver on that demand. And that resulted in a huge increase in other crises or a challenging, exasperated challenges such as inflation, which we have been seeing as a, as a major story over the last 12 to 18 months or so. Businesses are having to face higher cost pressures. 
wage demands are increasing because people are themselves are facing higher costs in their daily lives and they're expecting their employers to cover those costs. Um, and most recently, we had a huge major energy crisis, which threatened to shut down a portion of the sector if, if the government had not intervened early last year. There's a lot happened. It's a lot. <laughs> So quite a few challenges then. It's it's a definitely it's definitely quite a challenging and has been quite a challenging environment for manufacturers. But we're seeing green shoots. There there is signs for optimism. You know, if we look at the 13 or so sectors across manufacturing, some of those sectors are doing really, really well. Some of them are not doing as well, whether that's food and drink, defense, construction, electronics, metal manufacturing, textile manufacturing, etc. Maybe just paint a picture of what are the conditions that are allowing those sectors that are doing well to do well? And what are the reasons why the ones that aren't, the sectors aren't doing well are, are struggling? Is it for the same reasons that you've just explained supply chain issues, talent crunch, um, et cetera? Just maybe paint a picture as to kind of why the best are doing well and, and why other sectors maybe aren't so doing so well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. I mean, of course, I painted a pretty negative story of things are still pretty, really hard. But actually, what we have seen at the start of 2023 and for the first, let's say, uh, six months or so, um, industry has been recovering much better than we had expected or had anticipated. We are probably experiencing the first uh, two quarters of stability and calm, which is the longest period of stability and calm we probably had since maybe mid-2016. Um, of course, that prosperity and growth is not necessarily shared equally across all parts of manufacturing. Some industries are doing better than others. You mentioned one of them being electronics. We had seen a huge demand in growth for the electronic sector. Order books um, flying across the, the, the rooms um, from the, within the UK, but also internationally. And so those businesses are doing very, very well. Part of the reason that is actually many of those supply chain disruptions that those particular sectors, and it's not just electronics, but it's automotive, it's the aerospace sector, it's those kind of engineering, heavy engineering industries um, are seeing a growth uh, return, partly because those supply chain disruptions are actually easing quite significantly. This is more like accessing semiconductors, it's like computer chips and microchips that those industries have struggled to access over the last couple of years or so, uh, but now they're all those those chips are finally coming through, but it's also the reducing cost of logistics. So it's easier to access freight and shipping. We know a lot of components and materials tend to come from East Asia um, and it's quite, and we businesses tend to rely on uh, shipping to, to access inputs and import those goods. Um, and it's also just a change in perception and, and demand for how businesses are choosing their investments. So we are seeing an increased interest in digitalization and automation and AI technologies. And that's actually resulting in a boom for sectors like the electronics who tend to provide the hardware and the software that's needed to meet those needs. Remake Manufacturing is brought to you by Redfern Media, the digital agency for B2B manufacturers. We partner with B2B manufacturers to listen, think, create, and innovate. To find out more, head over to remakemanufacturing.com and sign up to the podcast, plus manufacturing marketing and technology insights. Now, back to the show. So you touched on my favorite subjects at the moment, digital transformation within manufacturing and digitalization, which I was told of by you the last time that we spoke. It's not digitization, it's digitalization. Maybe 
for the listener, just explain the difference between the two, because it's a common mistake. And then we'll talk about specifically digital transformation within manufacturing. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty common mistake, one that I actually made myself the very first time I heard it. Digitization essentially means the transition of um, how information is presented from analog to digital. So the most common example is how we transitioned from the analog watch, where you have the click, the ticking clocks and the handles that point at the numbers to a digital watch, like an alarm clock and that sort of thing, where you're able to see that those figures um, digitally. Whereas digitalization is more about how you actually access information, use it to create softwares, to create programming, to make it uh, create new functions, um, to enable the digitalization of, let's say, manual work into digital work. Um, so it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I think it's, it's it, I guess the easiest way to understand it is um, your computer and, you know, using your latest Windows software or your iPhone's operating software, uh, which updates every other month. This is, you know, that is information that perhaps was maybe uh, analog in the past when you have like telephone numbers and that sort of thing. And that's all been digitalized um, and being able to process in a, in a more unique and forward thinking way. So let's talk about digitalization then, if I've got it right. I feel that the most significant developments that have happened in manufacturing over the last couple of years, and possibly one of the reasons why we're seeing consecutive quarters of relative calm, is because of digitalization or at least digital transformation. You know, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, AI and machine learning, robotics. There are so many more technologies now that have enabled manufacturers to do more quicker, better, more efficiently, cheaper. Maybe talk a little bit about this change that we've seen in technology coming into manufacturing in in recent times. And how are the best companies that you've observed leaning into this digitalization? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a very important concept that I think manufacturers are really taking much more seriously today than they have previously. The pandemic pretty much outlined and highlighted that manufacturing supply chains are extremely vulnerable, that the slightest change in the way the mechanics were built from just-in-time processes can actually be easily broken down due to specific bottlenecks in supply chains. And actually, businesses themselves cannot necessarily control what happens outside of their company, but they can control what's happening inside of their company. And actually accessing digital technologies, that softwares, for example, that allow them to, let's say, track imported goods and exported goods and goods that are going out the door to meet their customers' needs, um, goods that are are being delivered on certain times, and being able to maximize efficiencies so they tend to use simple things like dashboards and analytics and that sort of thing, which helps them understand um, where things are coming in and where things are going out, but also using um, technologies like predictive maintenance, where AI um, programs are able to predict where machines or um, capital equipment are about to break down or they're overheating, so you can actually limit the amount of time needed to repair them or actually reduce the likelihood of them breaking down. These kind of technologies um, have always been accessible actually for many, many years, but it's really now we're seeing the adoption increase because manufacturers have themselves realized that actually resilience needs to be built in within the supply chains. Um, you cannot um, assume that your customer and your supplier is all doing everything that they can um, and, and actually you need to fortify your own business to ensure that you don't affect your customer, you are not affected by your supplier. Um, and so that that has having a huge impact on the way um, businesses are thinking about it. Resilience was not something 
you would think about in your business plan historically, because you would assume that that one business above you and the one business below you um, is already sufficient enough that you don't have to worry about what they're doing. You just need to worry about what you're doing. But actually now digitalization is allowing you to monitor and uh, track actively when the suppliers are going to be giving you information or goods, when the customers are going to be accessing information and goods. Um, it can get a little bit complicated, but we can see that the, it creates this connections and interactivity between manufacturers that allows them to continue maximizing efficiency, continue getting or getting as close to that just-in-time uh, st- stability that we had maybe before the pandemic. We don't really have that today and moving forward. Of course, not all businesses can digitalize easily. We see SMEs face many barriers, such as lack of awareness and knowledge and even just the general cost of adoption. So there are some challenges there that I think we can still support the sector to help digitalization be spread across industry rather than within a few sectors that are easy, where we're like a few large businesses, for example, who find it quite easy to adopt these things. We live in an interconnected world, definitely, and the ecosystem is very important. Let's talk a little bit about the report that you've published recently. Um, You've done a survey, I say you, Make UK, have published a survey recently um, that looks at the economic performance of manufacturing businesses in in the UK. How many businesses did you survey, incidentally? I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was about 300 manufacturers um, across the different, all different sectors um, in the UK. That includes Scotland and Wales, but not Northern Ireland. Great. And the report really sort of highlights and paints, I would say, quite an optimistic picture, as we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. um, for Britain's manufacturers. Um, What do you put that optimistic picture down to? I mean, you've touched on some of them already, but... If you can just expand on that. Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting because we were not sure about what to expect for this uh, second quarter of this year. So our first quarter results showed that industry had bounced back quite sharply following a pretty weak 2022, mainly because energy prices and gas prices were so high in 2022, many businesses had to actually wind down their production and activity. Um, but then we saw that those prices easing, so electricity and gas prices falling has had an impact on businesses being able to actually ramp up production again at the start of this year. Um, but at the time, we weren't sure if that was just a blip in the data or if it's because um, certain government supports like the energy bills relief scheme was a about to expire in March or the super deduction incentive scheme was going to expire at the end of March and maybe businesses were increasing activity at the start of the year. But actually what we find in Q2 is that that activity has continued to be stable and continue to um, move forward. It's not exploded in further growth, um, which obviously we would prefer to see, but it's also not been in contraction either. It's hard to say exactly what's causing that, but I think what manufacturers are experiencing is a little bit of stability and calm, which is not something that they've not seen for a very long time. The energy crisis easing is partly down to it. The supply chain crisis easing is partly down to it as well. I think also the political climate, at least, I'm not saying it's perfect right now within the UK, but is relatively appears to be more stable than it was. If you remember what September six months ago, yeah, six. Liz, uh, Liz six, Trust, Liz Trust, and even even her predecessor, which which was quite a chaotic environment, which made it quite uncertain for businesses to understand where is the UK actually heading. Right. Whereas now we have, um, and I cannot say how exactly they're achieved it, but I think we have a little bit of stability where actually businesses are less uh, fearful of what 
politicians and are going to do and how that's going to translate into impacts in the market. We still have some of those challenges. We're starting to, I think, get used to it a little bit, um, which I'm not saying is a good thing. But the amount of stability we have politically now um, is better than it was last year. And that has also having an impact on the perception of businesses being more willing to take long term um, order books and maybe make more long term investments and that sort of thing. I want to talk about China and about Brexit and Asia in general, really, because depending on who you speak to, you would be forgiven for thinking that Brexit has been a massive disaster for all companies and manufacturing companies specifically. But actually, are we seeing that accessing other markets outside of Europe is having a beneficial effect on UK manufacturers? I'm talking about, is there an increased demand from China and other Asian markets and other markets internationally? Talk a little bit about that. I think the impact of Brexit is still, we're still looking back on it, trying to understand what, what, what is going to be, because so some, some facets of Brexit and the new agreement we have with the EU has not necessarily been acted upon yet. Um, but I think on net balance, most would tend to agree, perhaps we probably lost a little bit more than we gained. But of course, there are some businesses that have actually been on the winning side of this, particularly those who are domestically focused in the UK. They are seeing businesses who often used to rely on the EU. They're diverting their supply chains inwards into the UK. Um, and so it's affected those businesses that actually tend to rely on UK companies for demand. We have not seen significant increases in trade with um, non-European countries. I think the the only benefit to beneficial area has probably been the US, uh, where the UK market has always had a strong relationship with. Not so much from China, but that's partly down to also um, the pandemic and how East Asia has responded to increasing cases of COVID and that sort of thing, where they're more likely to shut down access to freight and, and shipping ports and that sort of thing, which has made it a little bit more difficult. Of course, we are seeing more demand from uh, from specifically an electronics point of view, where the inputs and components are um, being delivered from China. But I think it's worth mentioning that despite that increasing demand, we have to, we're in a kind of a, a unique environment where there is a bit of an anti-China movement originating from the U.S. specifically. So the U.S. recently, uh, I think about uh, nine months ago now, announced a new legislation called the Inflation Reduction Act, which is their plan to make the U.S. more green for the first time by investing in EVs and solar panels and heat pumps and wind and all that stuff. Um, but really, if you look into the details of that report, it's all about really removing um, acts removing their reliance on China for the inputs of those things. So don't buy the EVs from China. Don't buy the solar panels from China. Don't buy the electric vehicle batteries from China. We're going to make them all in the US. Um, and the way that plan is set up is that there's huge subsidies that are going to be incentivizing um, US companies to continue production within the US. But also, if you as a friend, if you want to trade with the US and benefit from the scheme, then you need to have some sort of relationship with the US as well, not necessarily a free trade agreement. Um, but then it would make things difficult if you had a strong relationship with China. And so now we're seeing this slightly divergence of like, actually, if you want to trade with China, you might not be able to trade with the US. If you want to trade with the US, you might not be able to trade with China. It's getting a little bit more challenging that way. And we're seeing this sort of divergence of the world perhaps splitting towards um, a West focus and an East focus. Um, and of course, China themselves are responding. Um, they've been directed huge amounts of FDI towards Mexico now to maintain some access to the US. Um, and this is affecting a lot of companies. So whilst Brexit has had an impact and we are seeing some manufacturers take opportunities 
to increase or expand their their export opportunities. There also there's this um, challenging environment where they're not necessarily sure where they should prioritize trading within actually in the short term. It really does make sense to continue trading with the countries that are geographically closest to you. And most manufacturers do continue to trade with the EU. The EU remains our biggest market. Fahim, closing question. As senior economist for Mate UK, you've got a really unique and fascinating perspective and vantage point really about sort of what's happening in the manufacturing sector writ large. What do you see as the major trends or innovations shaping the industry over the next five to 10 years, let's say? Yeah, we've already talked quite a lot about digitalization, Nathan, but I think the really big area that manufacturers are actually uh, genuinely curious and investing in is net zero and uh, kind of that road to decarbonization um, of manufacturing. Um, so manufacturers are leading the, the way in terms of uh, transforming their energy s- supplies from away from traditional sources of energy that might be not very, might be quite carbon intensive towards more using solar, using wind, using hind- um, heat pumps and all these type of things. And I think manufacturers, especially the energy crisis, which had to incentivize them to think, actually, we do need to do something about um, the cost of energy, we can't be reliant on the grid. We can't rely on necessarily the government to deliver all these things. We actually need to t- take a lot of these challenges into our own hands. Um, and we're seeing ma- manufacturers developing all sorts of new technologies from carbon capture and storage to EV manufacturing in the UK. Um, and actually, we have one of the largest um, European um, heat pump manufacturers based in the UK called, um, that, that, that supply globally. Um, and I think what we're probably going to see is this, this priority from manufacturers um, on, on progressing the industry in terms of achieving those net zero goals. And it's not just for financial reasons. It's not just for achieving their rate of returns and making sure that the shareholders are happy. Actually, we are seeing more pressure because of customers, because of people who demand these things to be sustainable and energy efficient. That actually, for ethical reasons, manufacturers are also prioritizing these because actually if you don't um, and your competitors do, then you are more likely to fall behind um, just regardless of how good your product is because actually consumers today are not going to buy your goods if they're not sustainable, if they're not energy efficient, if they're not using renewable energy sources. Well, that, that is the sort of movement we're seeing. Fahim, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Nathan. Subscribe to the podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Music. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm Nathan Anibaba. See you next time.